I would like to open up the book of First Peter in chapter 1 this morning. Uh, if you have a pew book, uh, that is page number 1217. Uh, I'm going to read from the NIV translation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach from the first half of this this morning, and then tonight we're going to preach through the second half of it. Uh, and Andrew alluded to the title of this. I've entitled it, Where There Is Christ, There Is Hope. So we'll begin reading from First Peter chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 1 to 12. And it reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providence of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, eh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed." Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray. Father, would you still our hearts this morning? Lord, would you take everything that pains us, everything that distracts us, everything that is not of you, would you just take that from us? Lord, would we have hearts that are open to learn and to receive from you this morning? Would you encourage us? Would you rebuke us where we need it? In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning's message is developed from a question that I've had this week of, so what next? David has retired, as I'm sure we are all very well. A man who has brought this church on in many aspects. A man who has seen this church grow, who has led a teaching ministry that has attracted people to this church. And there has been transformation and change within this church. So what next? Now, of course, we all know that the hope of this church is not David Wilson. We know for a fact 
that it is not anywhere in our elders and our deacons and our pastors or anywhere else, but it is only found in Christ Jesus. That the hope for this fellowship here in Hamilton is in Christ alone. And I want to look at the reassurance of that this morning. I want to look at the nature of the hope that we have in Jesus. We know that it is only Christ who can build his church. We know that it is only Christ whose spirit can transform and convict hearts that lead to the building and to the growing of his church. Do you know, I'd love it if each one of you could have the privilege of coming alongside me for a couple of weeks to hear the wonderful stories I get to hear all the time of how God is at work amongst us, both in our community and also close by community. That reminds me of something I was going to mention. Um, Messy Church was yesterday, and it was the most encouraging Messy Church there's been because I wasn't there. I had, uh, I had a commitment at Hamilton Ackies yesterday I had to see through. Um, and I was really, really encouraged. We saw lots of people here. The team did a fantastic job. And I just want to ask you uh, if you would maybe consider coming on board with us. Uh, we had, I think, around about 90 people that aren't part of our church here yesterday. We have a volunteer team of about 20, which is great. But we really need that to be closer to about 30 to be able to keep running at the levels that we're running at. So please, if you could spare three hours maybe a little bit more if you want to help us prepare and set down. Uh, we would really appreciate that if you'd like to get involved with us. There's many different things you could do, but if you would like to, please have a chat with me. Anyway, God is working out his plans and his purposes here in Hamilton. And there are so many stories of the way that God is at work. Our baptismal service last week showed us a glimpse of the ways that God are at work amongst us. And you know, I'm utterly convinced that although we now go in to this period of vacancy, there is no uncertainty. Yes, there is uncertainty for us as to who the next shepherd of God's people here will be. There is uncertainty as to how long we will wait. So in some senses, there are some things that are uncertain. But in reality, there is no more certain place to be than in the body of Christ. Why? Because we belong to the one who is certain and we belong to the one who brings hope. And this passage gives us a wonderful insight into that hope. And my prayer this morning is that it would encourage us as a church and individually. This letter written by Peter, probably from Rome, was written to to a vast number of Christians throughout various areas of Asia Minor. And they were living in this this Greco-Roman culture under Roman control for a few years that were were ungodly. It was an ungodly culture that these people were in. And the, the purpose of this letter is talking about the hope that can be found in suffering and in persecution. That it's an encouraging letter that talks of the certainty and the salvation that is enjoyed by God's people. Why? Because we have already been saved through God's promises in Christ's death and resurrection. And this whole passage, I think, is underpinned by verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him. That is what underpins the hope and everything that we see here. This should be the results in our hearts. Our hearts that are filled with praise for our God because of what he has done for us and for what he continues to do. 
There are three things I want to look at this morning in regards to the nature of the hope that we have in Jesus. Firstly, our hope is a living and an eternal hope. This is what we find in verses 3 to 5. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance which will never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you and through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what is the hope that we have in Jesus? Firstly, it is a free gift. It is a free gift to us. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. In Jeremiah 13, 23, we read of the question, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? And this analogy implies this negative answer to the question of whether or not sinners can change their nature. We're fully aware that the sinfulness of man needs to be changed. Can someone change their skin color or can a leopard change its spots? No, of course they can't. Of course they can't. Can our sinfulness be changed by us? No, of course it can't. But only God through his spirit can transform our hearts. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, we read those great words. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the first thing about the hope that is in us. It is a gift that is given to us. There are salvation and our new birth, the transforming of our hearts, the, the hope that we know it is well and truly, freely given to us. How? According to the foreknowledge of the Father, because it is pleasing to his will, and he elects who he elects. What is the hope that we hold to? It is a hope that is utterly free and undependent on us. It is completely dependent on Jesus Christ and his work at the cross. And we know that this is the central message of the gospel. That this is the central message as to why Christ came into this world. Because we know that none of us are good enough to earn this hope. We know that none of us deserve this hope that is found in Christ. We know that no one deserves to spend eternity with God. But it is only through his mercy. And it is only in the fact that Christ came and paid the price that it is given to us. Romans 9 we read, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but fully on God's mercy. Out of God's infinite compassion, out of his abundant and limitless mercy, he chose to grant eternal life. Not because of anything we do, but because of what he has done. And the reality of this is there means there can be no arrogance in any of us. There cannot be any arrogance because it is of God and it is not of us. Salvation does not depend on me and what I do, but it depends on God. 
and what he has done. Back to those words in verse 3. Praise him. Worship him. Why? Because he is the one who is worthy. The free mercy, the free gift of new birth. How can we not worship this God? We're into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does this tell us? It tells us that our hope is well and truly alive. Our hope is alive. Our hope isn't based on this event 2,000 years ago and it just ends there. Why? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus didn't re-die after his resurrection, but the Messiah and our Savior lives. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Of course, Christ does not walk physically among us today, but his spirit is with us. Jesus is alive, and so is your hope. You think back to these believers and the persecutions that followed. This was their message. Jesus is alive. Jesus has paid it all. Stick your hope on that and nothing else. And that is what got them through. The reality of this message is that Christ took your place at Calvary. The place that each of us deserved to go. And he paid that price on your behalf. You have sinned and the God of justice demands payment. And if there is no payment, we will be consumed by the judgment of God. But God in his love sent his son who died in your place. Who paid the price. Who satisfied justice. And now that that God's justice is satisfied. His wrath is calm that we can be declared right with God. Why? Because he did it all and it does not depend on me. All the judgment that should have fallen on us fell on God's son. Right before he died, he cries out, it is finished. He means that that price is paid in full. So now you can know him. A righteous God demands that the price be paid. And in his love, he came and paid that price. What else do we see of hope in verse 4? We have been brought into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You see again in this letter, it is just certainty after certainty that we read of here. We can know certainty in our salvation because it is a free gift from God and not from ourselves. We can have certainty in our hope because our hope is alive. And we can have certainty in the hope that one day we will stand face to face with our creator and our savior because the inheritance of those that are in Christ will not perish, spoil, or fade, full stop. There is nothing that will pull those away from Christ who are in Christ. What more hope could we possibly want than the fact that our God has done it all, that everything we could ever need is in Him. Trust in Him, the one who brings certainty. Do you know, if even one single bit of this depended on us, how obedient you are, how closely you walk with God, it would perish. It would spoil and it would fade. But it doesn't. 
because your salvation and your inheritance depend solely on the work of Christ Jesus. How can this not drive us to our knees in praise for our gods? How, when we gather as saints together to sing of the worship of our gods, can it not drive us to belt it out and sing, God, you are good? Because this is the God who is sovereign and this is the God who reigns above all things. But he cares enough about you to save you. Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How can those verses not fill us with joy? Secondly, this hope gets us through difficult times. Our living eternal hope in trials. In all this, you greatly rejoice. So from verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Salvation and joy belong together. They're not limited to heaven, but in Christ and through his spirit, they are intertwined. How often in the Old Testament do we see this? Do we see that the salvation of God's people are proclaimed? The Psalms in Isaiah and Exodus 15 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. As the people are led through the waters, through the split sea, through the other side and their utter adoration for God. What underpins this? Greatly rejoice. Praise him and greatly rejoice. Why? Rejoice because your saviour lives. Rejoice because the vast mercy of your God has compassion on us. Rejoice because the abundant grace of God is lavished upon us and it wipes our slates clean. Rejoice because the hope that is in him is greater than the darkness that is in this world. And rejoice because he alone is sufficient for your every need. But we can ask, how can I rejoice when my life is falling apart? How can I rejoice when my depression sends me to rock bottom? How can I rejoice when sadness and grief consumes me? How can I rejoice when I just cannot see a thing to rejoice about? How can I rejoice when I see the poor decisions of my family and my friends? What is there to rejoice about? We can rejoice because there is a living hope that promises an eternity where there is no pain, where there is no suffering that is without uncertainty, and that is permanently and eternally in the presence of your Savior. If nothing else this morning, cling to that. Cling to the fact that there is an eternity that is so much greater than what faces us here today. Peter says, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. 
The central message of this letter is to these people that are suffering and have afflictions being thrown at them to Christians all over the place. But this letter is a letter of comfort, reminding them that there is a future hope that is greater than what is here. And the beauty and the application of this is actually it does not matter how bad it gets here because this promise still stands. That no matter how far our nation falls, that no matter the horrendous decisions of the leadership of our country, no matter where we go, there is still certainty in the fact that what will come will be greater. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We often face things in our lives that do not make sense, that confuse us, that hurt us, that we just cannot understand. God, why would you let this happen to me? But you know, God uses these things for the good of those who believe. And maybe just now he is using those things to prove the genuineness of our faith. Doesn't mean that God caused them, but God will use the things that are upon us to prove the genuineness of our faith. Why? Because the hand of God triumphs the intent of wounding us and he uses it in his grace. He uses our experiences of pain and affliction for his glory and for his edification. Are you able to rejoice in him this morning? Back to verse 3. Praise him. Praise him for the living hope that he gives. Praise him because he is worthy. Praise him that he has given us everything that we need to face the trials of this world. And third, a living and eternal hope is built on love and trust. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Not one of us has seen Jesus, but we believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That is what Peter says. Are you? Are you filled this morning with the inexpressible and glorious joy in Christ Jesus? If not, this is what we should do. Ponder the cross of Jesus. The immensity of that sacrifice the depths of his love, the wonders of his grace, the vastness of his mercy, all that he has done for you, how can it not fill us with this inexpressible and glorious joy? We know that love and trust are two crucial ingredients in any relationship. And in this verse, that's what Peter gives us, these two things. And we know that with the exception of Judas, Peter was the one disciple who showed the biggest breach of faith and trust in his Lord. 
We know that he denied him three times. And again, as we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And even though Peter was a leader of the apostles, he lived with Jesus for three years. And in the most crucial times, he failed to sustain his love and his trust in God. But in contrast, the reader has not seen him. But they have maintained a true love for and a strong trust in Jesus in the midst of the persecutions and their sufferings. We have this intertwining of these two concepts, trust and love. A soul that loves Jesus cannot help but believe in him and a soul that believes in him cannot help but love him. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Our faith accepts the revealed and written record of Christ Jesus, which portrays him in all his glory. And it leads us as believers to love him. The more faith we have in Christ Jesus, the more this overwhelms our hearts. The stronger our love becomes for him and the more joy that we know. Why? Because trust and love are the two elements that bind us into a living fellowship with Jesus Christ. Verse 9 isn't looking into the future, but it is looking at the here and now. Flowing from a Christian's personal fellowship with Christ. And the outcome of their faith is salvation. And again, salvation isn't some stagnant event. But it is this constant and present deliverance from the penalty and the power of sin. From its guilt, from its condemnation, from its wrath, from its ignorance, from the distress and the confusion, the hopelessness and the dominion. All of that is gone. But we're well aware that each one of us was once guilty and condemned under God's wrath and ignorant, distressed, confused, and hopeless, and under the dominion of sin and darkness. And the reality is, for any of us out with Christ Jesus, this is where we find ourselves this morning. Guilty and condemned. Under God's wrath, ignorant, distressed, confused, hopeless, and under the dominion of sin and darkness. But the greatest news of all, the greatest news of Jesus is you do not have to be guilty. You do not have to be condemned. You do not have to be under God's wrath or ignorant, distressed or confused, hopeless or under the dominion of sin and darkness. Because Jesus in his infinite grace paid the price on the cross. Every bit of that list in Christ has been wiped clean, clean eternally. All it takes from us is an honest heart of repentance. To turn to God and come before him and go, God, you know, I know I fall so far short of your holiness and your glory. And a faith that says, I want to follow Jesus. And in that moment, the future of your life looks very, very different. Because your hope is no longer in this hopeless world, but your hope is in the living and eternal Christ Jesus. 
Christ. But the wonderful reality for those of us that are in Christ is that we are not guilty, but we are free. We are not condemned because Christ paid the price. We are not under God's wrath. Why? Because again, Christ paid the price. We are not ignorant because we know the truth. We are not distressed because we know the peace that transcends all understanding. We are not confused because we stand upon the solid rock. We are not hopeless because we know hope. We are not under the dominion of sin and darkness because Christ Jesus has set us free. That is hope. That is the future, that is the present, that is what there is in Christ Jesus. If you do not know the hope of Christ Jesus this morning, I urge you to consider. I urge you to consider the trajectory of your life and where your hope is this morning. Because hope that is in anything but Christ Jesus will die when you do, if not before. Just to finish verses 10 to 12. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angel, even angels long to look into these things. The prophets did not know of the Messiah that they were predicting, but they said what they were saying for our benefit, so that we may know the gospel so that we may stand firm in Christ Jesus. And Peter's point in adding this in here is because he wants us to feel more gratitude and wonder for our salvation because even the great people, the prophets, even the angels of heaven do not understand the glory of the gospel of Christ Jesus. If you come into this place feeling like you carry the weight of the world, if you have lost sight of the living hope that we have in Christ Jesus, or if you are struggling to rejoice this morning, you have come to the right place. Because now we will come and we will gather around this communion table as we focus and center ourselves around the cross of Jesus Christ. Bear your heart before your God. Bear everything before him, even the things that you don't want to share with him and you rather he didn't know. Lay it all before God. If that is a painful thing to do, that is okay. If that is a difficult thing to do, that is okay. If that leads us to a place that we feel vulnerable, that is okay because we are family. But as we gather, come before your God, worshiping and exalting him for who he is and the hope that you have in him. Everything centers around Jesus. Everything of the hope that we have in the future, the joy that we have in the present, is all dependent upon Jesus. May that be our encouragement this week, that it is not about you, it is not about me, but it is about Jesus. And would we live lives that are transformed and walking in that truth. Christ's promises and his hope to his people 
are eternal and they are unbreakable. They will never perish. They will never spoil. They will never fade. Amen. Let's pray. God, with the reality of your righteousness and your love, with the reality of what we deserve, but what you have done for us, Lord, would that continue to transform our hearts day by day? Lord, would our relationship with you never become stagnant? But would we know that our hope is alive? It is as alive today as it was 2,000 years ago. And Lord, in those times when things are hard, in those moments of grief, in those moments of pain and persecution, whatever they may be, would we do as Peter tells us to do? Would we not run from God? But Lord, would we throw ourselves into your arms because it is the safest place we can be. It is the most sure place we can be because your promises are eternal and unbreakable. They will never fade. They will never spoil. Because God, you are so, so good and true to your word. We exalt you and we thank you. Amen.